0: Hey, what's good, fam? We appreciate you tuning in to the South City Church Podcast. It's our prayer that as you hear the better story of Jesus, you might experience more of his redemptive power in every square inch of your life. Hey, we're a church plant. We benefit greatly from outside support. So if you'd like to partner with our ministry here, you can go to southcityrva.com give and join us in seeing strangers made family in Christ. In Richmond and beyond. God bless and shalom. Amen and good morning, family. Good morning. We are continuing our series that we've entitled Blueprints in Genesis 1 through 3. So you may go ahead and, and turn to Genesis 2. We're going to be starting in the beginning of Genesis 2 this morning and Really, Genesis 1 through 3 are like blueprints. Uh, they, they they give us a, a, a pattern to help us understand who we are, who we were created to be, and what we're, we were created for. And we especially need to remember this in the culture that we live in, which is obsessed with, with this. I mean, humanity throughout history has been trying to answer the question, who am I and what am I here for? And our culture is trying to create that identity and that value and that worth and that purpose in a million different ways. It's exhausting. We have the blessing to be reminded that we don't have to create it. We don't have to find it and figure it out. We receive it. It's here. We believe it and we embody it. And by God's grace and his work, we live it out. And so we have um, covered several topics so far. We started with just God's creation uh, of, of the earth, the world, uh, Imago Day, what it means to be made in the image of God, uh, marriage and family, manhood and womanhood, and work. And this morning, uh, we are looking at Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What's it for? And how are we to respond to it? And so let's, uh, let's start in chapter 2 of Genesis, and I am going to read just the first two verses. <clears throat> Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. And so by way of reminder, the first chapter, including these verses uh, in Genesis, is it's a poem. This is, this is poetry. Um, we often don't read it that way. We like to read it maybe primarily as a scientific journal. An explanation in our in our in our Western analytical scientific minds, but that's not what it is. Doesn't mean science isn't involved. God is the author creator of all science, but the point is that it's poetry and it's meant to be read and paying attention to like poetry, which means that the rhythm, the, the cadence, the patterns serve a purpose, not just to sound nice, but they actually communicate meaning. And so we see a couple interesting things in the beginning of chapter two, which, by the way, um, in, in the Hebrew, there's no, there's no chapters and verses. So we have, have made this, um, chapter two, but really this is the end of the poem. This is the conclusion of this grand poem. Um, and is part of what we've been working through in chapter, chapter one. And so we see a few things that are different, very different about this. Um, than the previous verses. Much of the language that's repeated on every previous day, like, and God said, and God made, and God saw it was good, are absent here. Just to set us up with, this is different. This is a a different idea, maybe, that God is wanting to communicate. Also, uh, seventh day, those two words are mentioned three times. They're repeated three times. And on the seventh day God finished his work he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done and so God blessed the seventh day there's repetition on purpose those repetitions don't aren't aren't included in the previous days it's as if the author and God is wanting us to see that this seventh day is different it's special it's unique and so then let's Let's move on to verse 2 here. It's a unique day, and then it says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. So we see that God rested. Why do you think God rested? Was it because he was just worn out, exhausted, beat, and he like physically just had to stop because he was so tired. Well, that's oftentimes how it is for us, but when you look at, at, at the rest of Scripture and, and God and what it, Scripture teaches about him, that's not the case. God wasn't tired. He doesn't get tired and exhausted. So he didn't rest because he needed a break. It wasn't like he'd worked seven days and he earned a rest and was exhausted. So why did he Take a day of rest. Well, what do you think Michelangelo, I don't know what he did, but what do you think Michelangelo did when he finished the Sistine Chapel? Or the sculpture of David? Some of the great works of art? Or any great artist when they finish a piece of art? It was Michelangelo, right? I think it was. Okay. Okay. I get Michelangelo and da Vinci confused. Ah, uh, Michelangelo. Do you think he just like stopped, put his brushes down, and left and moved on to his next assignment? Probably not. Let me ask you this. What do you do when you finish something, that, whether it's a piece of art or a piece of work, something in your career, and, and, and you're proud of it and it's good? What do you do? You stop and you enjoy it. I have a feeling that Michelangelo didn't just move on to his next assignment. I imagine he stood there for a while and enjoyed the masterpiece of the Sistine Chapel. I'm not an artist, but I did write a poem once that I'm proud of and I enjoy. It was when I was in the hospital with uh, my firstborn and you know, was waiting around. She had been born and, and, no, second born. And I wrote a poem for her and about her and about her name. And then after that, I went back and I read it over and over and over and over again. I was like, that's good. I like that. That's good. And I shared it with a few people, too, because that's what we do when we're proud of something. All right. My daughters, when they color, when they draw, my daughter Sedona's making jewelry. And she carries it around and she looks at it. And then she brings it to to me and Leah. And she says, look, look, daddy, look what I did. See it. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. I think that's what God was doing on the seventh day. It's built into who we are. And it comes from God. He takes a day, not because he's exhausted, because he enjoys his good creation. And and I think we see that in part from the, the following verses. In verse 3, it says that God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. He set it apart. He consecrated it as sacred, as different. Not to recover, but to enjoy and delight in. And I think we even see hints of this building up through the poem so far. Each day ends with, or somewhere in the day, it says, and God saw that it was good. There's a clear acknowledgement every day that what God is making is good. An awareness and an articulation, it was good. Each day, God was sitting back, pausing for a moment and looking and saying, ooh, that's good. Ooh, that, the Milky Way, that's, that's good. Ooh, Adam and Eve, they're, they're very good. And then he takes a whole day to basically sit back, enjoy it and say, this is good and savor it. Sabbath is our first point here. Sabbath is meant to be enjoyed. Sabbath is meant to be delighted in. God enjoyed His creation. We enjoy the Creator in part through the creation. It's a day to do good things, to eat good food. To, to, to do hobbies that we enjoy that remind us of our creator. It's a day of worship and delight. It's meant to be enjoyed. Sabbath is meant to be enjoyed. Second point, Sabbath is meant to work from, not for. Sabbath is meant to work from, not for. Uh, turn to the next book, uh, which would be Exodus, go to chapter 16, Exodus 16, and let's start in verse 22. So some context here. The Israelites, God's people, have been enslaved in Egypt for four centuries as brickmakers, 400 years they have been enslaved to hard, brutal, exhausting labor, making bricks. God sends Moses. There's all the plagues. God draws them out. He brings them through the Red Sea, hurls the Red Sea back on the, the Egyptians and brings them out of slavery. And this is the, really the, the, the first interaction we see. Um, they complain, building up to this, which they do a lot. They complain, we're hungry, we're thirsty. So God sends manna from heaven, bread from heaven, to feed them. And he's telling them, collect enough for each day. Not for the next day, enough for each day. And then on the sixth day, I want you to collect enough for the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath, I want you to rest. And so we see in verse 22, read with me. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning. As Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long were you refused to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So imagine that you are an Israelite, and your people have been enslaved for 400 years. You have been making bricks from sunup till sundown seven days a week for 400 years. And it has literally been beaten into you daily that your only value and your only worth to the Egyptian empire is how many bricks you can produce. Your only value to Egypt is how many bricks you can produce. And so year after year, you're reminded that your worth and your value are determined by what you do. If you don't do it, there's wrath and punishment. And then God brings you out. He brings you into the wilderness. And the first thing he wants to teach you is to stop. Hey. You can stop it now. You can take a break. It's like God's, God's telling them, the first thing you need to understand, the first thing, the very first thing you need to understand is that your value and your worth to me are not based on what you do. They're based on who you are. And you are mine, so you can stop. I will provide for you. We work, or we, 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 we work from our rest, out of our rest, not for it. And we live in a, in a culture that embraces this Egyptian oppression of control and work. And for many of us in this room, this, this identity and this narrative is, is, is embedded deeply within us where we feel like our value and our worth come from what we do for the Lord, for our family, for society. And so we look to our career. We look to our bank accounts. We look to how successful we are in whatever we're interested in. We look at the success of our children, and we think, if, I just, if they're successful, then I will be worth something. I will be a good mother and father if my child grows up to love the Lord. People will think much of me if I make more. If I climb the ladder, then I will be loved. And we do this in our salvation as repeated throughout Scripture. That our default mode is to earn our salvation based on our works. God draws the people out and says, no, your worth and your value come from the fact that I made you in my image. You are beautifully and wonderfully made and you are mine. So guess what? You can stop your work on the Sabbath and just enjoy my love, enjoy my creation. And this, this harkens back to Genesis. Genesis teaches us this if we are willing to listen. What day were Adam and Eve created on? Somebody answer. They were created on the sixth day. So what was their first full day of life like if they were created on the sixth day? What was their first day? The seventh, which is what? It's rest. (laughs) Adam and Eve's first day, God says... Just enjoy. You don't have to work. The Sabbath is meant to be the, the first day of the week, not the last. Many of us are, are under the illusion that we, if we work hard enough, then we can enjoy a Sabbath. But if we don't, like there's, we can't do it. God says no. From the beginning, before you did anything, I've given you a day to enjoy and to worship another question when does the day start in Genesis someone mouthed evening why repeatedly what does it say and there was evening and there was morning on the first day on the sixth day there was evening and there was morning the Hebrew day, the Jewish day, started at night. We have flipped it and now it's the morning. So then so the week starts with rest, then what does the day start with? Sleep. Sleep. Our day starts without doing any work, but sleeping and resting. And guess what? Before Adam and Eve did anything, God pronounced, it is very good. Not because of what they had done, because they hadn't done anything, but because of who they were made in the image of God. Brothers and sisters, you are valued and you are loved, and your identity is found in who you are in God, not in what you do. You've heard that before. You need to hear it every day of your life, because your default mode is to go back and say, Screwed up again. I got to do something to fix it. I got to earn God's love back. And it's oppressive. And we don't enjoy God's love. It's a gift. We're meant to enjoy it. Sabbath teaches us to do that. (sighs) Lastly, Sabbath is an act of resistance. Jump ahead a couple more chapters to, or books to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. God gives uh, Israel, this comes right after uh, the, the narrative of manna and God giving them the Sabbath. And then God gives them the, the Ten Commandments. And within the Ten Commandments is uh, another charge To keep the Sabbath. Look what it says, chapter 5. I'm gonna start in verse 12, go through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord God brought you out. Sabbath is a remembrance and it's an act of resistance against our default mode to to go back into the, the, the oppressive economy of Egypt, to work for our acceptance, to work for our love, and to try to control. I love one of the lines from one of Josh Garrell's songs. And he writes, My rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. I love that. My rest is a weapon against the oppression of man's obsession to control things. Brothers and sisters, we are, are oppressed by this obsession to control Many of us think there's no way on earth I could take a whole day off. There's too much to do. As if we were God and in control. Sabbath is an act of resistance against falling back into this economy. You can't create your value, and your worth by any amount of work, no matter how many bricks you make. It's a gift. And it's a gift for your good. Taking a Sabbath each each week is pushing back on Satan's lies. It's pushing back on the oppression of our culture, which every day in a million different ways tells you you are what you do. So do better. Sabbath says, nu-uh. I'm in God's kingdom. I'm in God's economy. God says I'm loved and I'm valued. And therefore, out of that, I can work. Sabbath is meant to be enjoyed. Sabbath is meant to work from, not for. And Sabbath is an act of resistance Against the, the, the oppression of control and a works-based identity. Let's look to Jesus for a second. Jesus comes along in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. And he's walking with his disciples on the Sabbath day. Some of his disciples, as they're walking through the field, they're picking Some some heads of grain as they walk through the field. And the Pharisees see it, and they condemn Jesus' disciples and Jesus. How dare they pick grain on the Sabbath? They're profaning the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift for man's good. Man was not made to be oppressed by all your regulations you're heaping up on the Sabbath day. They had fallen back into the same oppression. Israel, in a lot of different ways, and the Pharisees, they heaped up extra rules and regulations upon what God had given them that were not God's intention. Why? Because it was a way they could control. And what was it? It was was an oppressive Sabbath. Do not do this. Do not do that. Do not do this. Do not do that. Do not do this. Do not do that. It's not the point. Jesus is reestablishing what God intended. It's a gift to enjoy. It's for you. You're not for it. And then I think of Jesus' words when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ultimately, Jesus is the true Sabbath. Jesus is the one who gives us rest. Jesus is the one who has freed us from our slavery to sin and and idolatry of self. Jesus was oppressed so that we would be made free. Jesus worked really, really hard so we could rest in our identity and our worth in Christ. The Sabbath is gospel habituation. It's the same story the whole time throughout all of Scripture. It's the same story. God creates by saying, Rest because you're mine. Jesus comes along and he says, Rest because you're mine. I have rebought you. I have redeemed you. I have brought you back out of your slavery. You're mine, so rest. A Sabbath day every week is habituating the gospel of Jesus Christ into our bones, into our lives. It's a reminder we don't work for our salvation. We rest in Jesus. As we move towards application, I want to throw out a few obstacles um, that we face when it comes to Sabbath. There are many, but here's a few. And maybe you could think of them as uh, taskmasters. When Israel was enslaved in Egypt, there were taskmasters who were there, ready to remind them in any moment, if they stopped working, that they could not rest with whips. We have taskmasters too. There are voices from our culture and there are voices in our own minds that tell us, no, you can't rest. One of them is control. How often do you hear the voice There is too much to do to rest. Mm. How often do you hear that voice? How often does that taskmaster whisper to you? You haven't done enough. There's too much to do. You can't take a day off or the world will fall apart. You can't get it all done. That's the whole point. We can't get it all done. A Sabbath is a day to stop and say, I can't do it. But I'm going to rest in the one, as Jonathan prayed earlier, who's got it all together. The one who's got it all covered. It's a day to sit back and trust. Or maybe the voice that you hear is, if you're honest with yourself, You hear the voice, God couldn't possibly love me enough to give me a day just to enjoy. Mm -hmm. May sound weird, but search your heart. Some of you struggle to receive the unmerited and, and unachieved love of God that He gives to you freely. And so to think about taking a whole day just to have fun and enjoy, you don't think God actually loves you enough to give you that day. And so you don't take it. It's a lie. You're not good enough. But Jesus was. Jesus is. So you're good enough. And God gives it to you. He loves you. He cares about your delight and your enjoyment and your happiness way more than you do. And he's got the perfect plan for it. Part of it is taking a day to do fun things and enjoy God through his creation and his people. Some of you have worked so hard for so long. or it was beaten into you from from childhood by your parents and others. To work, 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 work. Don't get me wrong. Work is good. We just had a sermon on it. Work is great. Work and Sabbath go together. But some of you simply don't know how to take a break and rest. You've been working really hard and you you don't know how to stop. I just invite you to, to listen to this, to look at God's word. God invites you to stop. It might be hard for you to do it. And we're going to get to some application in a minute. But just know that it's good and God desires it from you. And it is possible. It is possible for even you, if you're a workaholic and you're driven, like, it's possible for you to stop. You can get there. For some of you, the objection might be, Sabbath doesn't fit in my schedule. And I want to acknowledge that some people's schedules are are really hard for different reasons, some of it out of their control. Some people have to work three jobs to put food on the table. And it's really hard for them to take a whole day each week off. But for some people, it's an excuse. And so I would just invite you, if if you feel this, that it's hard, too hard to take a, a Sabbath based on your schedule, I would love to just look at your schedule with you or Jonathan would, and just see if there's a creative way to make space for a Sabbath. Maybe there is, or maybe a half Sabbath, a half day. Again, it's not, it's, it's, it, it's not meant to be oppressive, it's a gift. We can have some creativity and flexibility with it. But if that's you, I would love to explore helping you find time in your schedule. I'm sure Jonathan would as well. And so I want to end with three encouragements of application. The first is really obvious. Consecrate a day each week to rest and play. If you do not have a Sabbath, you are actually sabotaging your spiritual formation, your joy, and your worship. It may feel like you're doing the right thing by working more, but you're sabotaging sabotaging your formation into the likeness of Jesus. Jesus. God wants it for you. Make a day, full day. Maybe you, I've started uh, beginning my Sabbath in the evening now. I start in the evening. It's a really good thing to start a new day with rest and sleep. Create or consecrate a Sabbath day every week. Second, prepare in advance. So, like, the whole point of Sabbath is you don't have to work. But for us, especially in our culture and our sinful nature, if we don't prepare for it in advance, we probably won't hold it very well. We'll fall back into the, the, the patterns of the other six days. And so prepare in advance. If having a clean home is important for you to be able to like sit back and relax Clean your house before your Sabbath day, during the week. Work extra harder during the week or in evenings to clean your house so Sabbath, you don't have to do it. Think about it. Plan things to do in advance. I'm going to get more to that in a minute. Invite others into your Sabbath day in advance. If I don't do some planning for my Sabbath, the house will be a mess. I won't be able to rest and with three kids, we'll just we'll fall into watching TV or like cleaning the house. So be proactive the other six days and setting yourself up for your Sabbath. Schedule, plan. Plan fun things to do with other people. And lastly, plan for delight. Do things that you enjoy doing and allow you to enjoy God through his creation. Don't just default to Netflix all day. Do things that actually enable you to enjoy the creator through his creation. Um, Go on a walk. Play music. Write poetry if you like writing poetry. Do things you maybe don't normally do during the week. Go to an art museum. Go jump in the river. right? Go to a good restaurant. I don't know things you normally don't have time for, but you wish you did, like do those on the Sabbath day. God wants you to enjoy him through his creation. We currently on our Sabbath day, we used to go to the food truck, the sandwich truck, which is down here in the corner. We loved walking down there Saturday mornings. We'd go with the Bowells and some others and we'd get some $5 sandwiches and coffee, go to the playground and watch the kids run around for a couple hours. It was just life-giving. We enjoyed it. So we did it. Most Saturdays. Saturdays are Sabbath, by the way. Then the sandwich truck closed on Saturdays. And so I thought, well, what do we love doing? Well, I love making fires and burning things and sitting by the fire. And I like eating things. So we, when the weather permits, we make a fire. I get up early in the morning before the family's up and I make a fire fire. And we cook our breakfast over the fire. We sit outside and we usually have a couple other families join us on Saturday morning. And like until noon, we just sit out by the fire. We eat good food. We drink good co- coffee. Brandon brings his guitar. Saracinis brings some some blanchards. And we just enjoy each other. We enjoy the weather. We enjoy our kids running around and just saying, yeah, just go go over there, you're fine, run around, be free. It brings us enjoyment, and it draws us into worship. It's an act of worship. Worship is not to be meant to be rote and stale. It's meant to be enjoyable. I'll leave you with a line I like from a guy named Marty Solomon in his podcast called Bama Discipleship. And he's taught his children this. He says, if you ask my children what the Sabbath is, this is what they say. We rest, we play, no work, God loves us. We rest, we play, no work, God loves us. I like that. It's simple. Our children can understand that. So South City, may we be a people who have a Sabbath where we rest and we play, we don't work, and we know God loves us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for inviting us into your Sabbath day. because you love us, you have invited us into a day every week and eventually in eternity where we explore and delight in and enjoy you and your creation. Lord, may we be a people who are humble enough to accept this gift and acknowledge that we don't have to work seven days. We can stop and we can trust. Would our Sabbath Lord be a picture to an enslaved world of your redemption and your life, your resurrected life? May the world see the, the church stop and be and enjoy. And would it be a gospel proclamation that just as as we no longer have to or never had to work to earn your favor through Jesus, we can't earn our salvation. It's a gift. Lord, form us, your people, into your image and your likeness by people who rest and enjoy. And would it shape us into people who then are able to go out and to work hard and to work well, not to earn your favor. We're out of fear, but out of joy and love because we know we're taken care for and we're loved so we can go work really, really hard. And would you make strangers family through us? Pray this in Jesus' name.